Alright, how many people are excited about Advent? Alright, I love I love this season. Um, I think I probably shared with most people here, but I, I, I wasn't really aware of Advent until, until just maybe about seven years ago. Um, I always saw some, I think early in my Christian walk I was very anti-tradition. Just, uh, I don't know why, but maybe it's just my slightly rebellious heart, but anyway. But I was very anti-tradition, but Advent uh, has been so life-giving for my family and I during the holiday season. I enjoy the holidays, and for a while I was like, okay, the holidays are cool, but I don't really see Jesus in it. And um, for us, Advent has really been uh, a way that we can uh, keep focused on Christ in the middle of all the good distractions, right? We have some good distractions, family time, gifts, we have some great times together with other people, Uh, but with Advent... You know, as Keith said earlier, the word uh, Advent, it comes from the Latin word coming. And um, we celebrate, uh, a lot of people uh, say that they celebrate uh, two Advents. For me personally, I think of it as three Advents. The first Advent I think about is Jesus coming into the, into the world. Jesus was alive in, his, in, in uh, eternity past, but he was born as a baby. And he came to be able to... Uh, understand us and to be able to represent us um, and he lived the perfect life that we couldn't live for us and he died the death that we all deserve and he was born to die for our sins Jesus came to this world and that's the first advent then what I see as the second advent is when Jesus came to my life because if he doesn't come to our life and we don't know Christ it does the first one really doesn't matter if that makes sense so when he came into my life, when I, when I was able to, when he convicted me of my sin and I, I turned to him and I put my faith and my trust in him for my salvation, Jesus came to my life. And then now, because of that, I anticipate that he's coming back one day. So when we talk about Advent, we're talking about the coming of Christ. He came once, a long time ago, maybe around 2,000 years ago, that he came to my life. And now I'm thinking about that he will return. And saints, he will return. Amen? So we uh, eagerly await our redemption, which is the title I gave to this message. And the word redeem means to buy out. And the idea is of, of buying a slave's freedom. So we were, free, we were uh, uh, slaves to sin. And through Jesus Christ, we've been redeemed. We've been bought We've been bought by God, and now we belong to God, and now we go from slaves to sin to slaves of Christ, servants of Christ. So Jesus' resurrection assures us of our resurrection. What Jesus did for us assures us that one day we will be with him for eternity. So because we are redeemed, we have eternal life, we have forgiveness of our sins, we have the righteousness of Jesus, we've been adopted as children of God, we have the Spirit living in us, We have peace with God. We're no longer slaves to sin, and we've been reconciled to Christ. So when we talk about the Advent season, we are awaiting. And when we talk about waiting, we're talking about waiting for something. So that means that we have a hope. And our hope is to be delivered from this broken world. So we don't have to be experts to know that there's something wrong with the world. When we look around the world, uh, when we watch the news every day, we know that there's something wrong. When we even think about ourselves, our own thoughts, our own struggles, we know that there's something wrong. And as a parent, when I look at my own children, I know that there's something wrong. I didn't teach my kids to lie. I didn't teach them to do the things they do. But yet they have struggles 
there's something wrong with this world. And this season, as we talk about waiting, I mean, 2020 has been a year of waiting, right? We know that we're living in the middle of a global pandemic and we're waiting for this all to be over, waiting for some normality in our lives. I know at one point I was waiting to see if the NBA season was going to start. Uh, we, are, we were waiting to get together as a church because for a while we met virtually. And we we're waiting to see our friends. We we're just waiting a lot during this time. Now we're waiting to see if there was any fraud in our presidential race. We're waiting to see who's going to be our new president. We're constantly in suspense. And the only thing that can give us peace is when we have a hope. So just think about it. We have a hope in Christ. We have a hope in all the promises and all that we have through Jesus. And there are people out there that don't have that hope. And I think about that all the time, you know, as we were speaking uh, earlier about um, what Brian was testifying about him ministering to friends and Ellie was talking about bringing this light to a broken world. Um, This season is a perfect season for us to be able to pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Or if you're like Keith, you just create them, right? So that's what I appreciate about Pastor Keith. Uh, He is always uh, very... uh, uh, when I say aggressive, not in a bad way, but always look, just trying to share the gospel with people. And during this season, during the Advent season, during Christmas season, it's a good opportunity for us to do that. So I encourage you guys to do that. But anyway, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be looking at Romans eight eighteen to twenty seven, and um, it's gonna be on our screen. But if you want to turn to there, you're welcome to. But um, Paul wrote this book. In the, so the world was broken when, 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 uh, when Adam sinned. So the people that Paul was speaking to were also in a, in a, in a broken time. They were in a broken world as we are today. Uh, they were under the tyranny of Rome. And Rome was very harsh on the people around there. So he was talking about uh, a hope that they had. And we share the same hope. Romans uh, 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Sorry. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what what is the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And our big idea is that God calls his people to wait in eager expectation 
for all that he has promised with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I'll say that again. God calls his people to wait in eager expectation for all that he has promised with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I ask you all to just join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. We come before you as people in a broken world, as people that suffer in this world to different degrees, some more than others, Lord, but we are all waiting for you. Lord, we trust in your word and we know that all your promises will come true. And I pray that you may speak to us today, encourage us, help us to remember our hope and help us to rely on your spirit to be able to bring us there until the day that you come back, Lord. Lord, we cry out to you. We say, Lord, come. We wait for you. Speak to us. Build us. Convict us. Encourage us. Let your word and your spirit transform our lives this morning. And we ask you all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, According to this uh, scripture here, it says that our present suffering leads to future glory. Going back to verse 18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to reveal in us. As I said earlier, we're living in the middle of a worldwide pandemic. Things have shut down this pandemic has killed or at least assisted in the death of about 1.5 million people in the world. We've had a rough year. We've seen police shootings. We've seen outrage. We've seen rioting. We've seen racism peeking out his ugly head from under the covers. We've seen a a tough presidential race that has uh, caused fear for people on both sides. And now the church has been split because of politics. We live during a time of suffering. And confusion. And not only that, we have the everyday stuff. We have murders, we have human trafficking, we have people in the world that are starving. We see hurricanes coming up and destroying homes. We've seen sick sickness, death, poverty, poverty, excuse me. And did I mention that we're living in a worldwide pandemic, right? So we are living in a broken world that this causes us to suffer. And Paul makes this bold statement. That's saying that the suffering that we go through cannot compare with the glory that is to come. And for some people that might not understand, they might be like, you don't know what I'm going through, Paul. But I have to say that Paul is one of the people that probably has suffered more than most people in this world. Uh, Paul talks about his, his life and he, uh, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says that he was in prison frequently. He says that he was flogged by the Jews five times. Three times he was beaten with a rod, and once he was stoned. Three times he was shipwrecked, and he spent a night and a day uh, floating around at sea. Uh, he, he, he lived his life in danger of waters, danger of robbers, dangers of, from his own countrymen, from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers from false brethren. He lived with hunger and thirst, and he was cold, and he dealt with nakedness sometimes. So when we look at Paul's life, this is a man that was acquainted with suffering. But yet this man was able to say that the suffering that he has gone through, which is probably 
I would say that I would, I would win to bed that none of us has gone through the suffering that Paul has gone through. But he was still able to say that this suffering and all that he's been through does not even compare with the glory that is to come. He echoes this in uh, 2 Corinthians 4.17. He says, for this light momentary affliction. And I think about all that he's been through, the list I went through, and I would rarely call this light momentary affliction. But in Paul's eyes, it was light. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So transient means that things are temporary. But Paul learned not to look at the things of this world, but he was thinking about eternity. And he lived his life thinking about eternity. And one thing that I found, I've been around a couple of believers that were close to their, their death. And I was very, or, or just uh, uh, around death. And it, it was very interesting to me the things that were important to them compared to the things that are important to us. Because we live a lot of our lives paying attention to the everyday life. You know, I, I met as a, as a chaplain, I went to go visit a, a brother that I was going to go encourage him. He was in hospice care, uh, uh, receiving hospice care. And I went, and he was encouraging to me. <laughs> I remember him telling me, you know, just how excited he was to meet the Lord. And I, and I, and I told him, I said, brother, man, I, I came over here to encourage you, and I'm receiving encouragement from, from you. And he said, you know, a lot of, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die, you know. And when he was, he was thinking about eternity, he was closer to eternity than, than we were. And I see that, I think Paul lived his life that way because he never knew when he was going to die. So I think we do well to listen to people that have a firm a conviction and belief and hope in their salvation. And some people that may be closer to the end of their lives, sometimes they have a better perspective than we do. And that's why Paul was able to say these things. Um, I, look at, I look at Paul and I, I think about um, the suffering that he went through. And also all the, the revelation he received about God and what was to, what was to come. Um, and I think about what was it that, Paul, that drove Paul? Why was, why was uh, Paul so heaven-bent on sharing the gospel with everyone? Why was Paul so driven? And I'm sure a lot of it was glorifying God, but he had his mind on eternity. He was excited for the things to come. You know, he's the one that said that, that that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So um, another thing that I see in the Bible is that there is a big connection between suffering and glory. We see this in Jesus. Jesus suffered and then he experienced the glory. And he tells us several times in the word about suffering and the glory that is to come. In verse 17, the same chapter, and I don't have it, I don't have it up there. It says, and if we are cho- children, then heirs and heirs of God. And fellow heirs with Christ, providing we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So again, like I said, there seems to be in the Bible a connection between suffering and glory. And also, a creation groans awaiting redemption. Verse 19 says, for the, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, 
but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth. So it says here that creation waits with eager longing. So the sun, the stars, the animals, the mountains, the seas, the lions, and the spiders all are waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And this term, eager longing, the Greek word, it, it, it means uh, to watch away from the head. So it sort of means like, like what we call rubbernecking. When we're stretching out a head on our tiptoes, looking for something. Uh, you guys probably don't take public transportation much, but I remember in New York when I'm waiting for the bus for a little while and I'm just there just trying to see if I see it from far away. That's sort of what, what, what it's speaking about here. And before we talk about the glory that is to come, we need, we need to again address the, the context of what Paul is talking about, the world that we're living in. Um, in, in, in verse 20 and 21, it, 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 uh, it describes the earth as subjected to futility and in bondage to corruption or decay. And the word futility here means vanity, uselessness, aimlessness, inability to reach a goal or achieve a purpose. So the creation was made with a certain purpose, but because of the fall, it was not able to reach that purpose. So the creation itself was frustrated. Uh, we know that, that when Adam and Eve, uh, when God created the world, everything was good until Adam and Eve sinned. And this brought cor a corruption and decay to the world. Nothing in this world died until sin came into the world. As Adam and Eve rebelled, they chose to become their own gods. And the, the, the image of God that we were all created in was fractured now. So because God made, gave man authority, now creation itself, uh, God gave men authority over creation and to rule over the earth. Now creation itself was subject to the same uh, futility that man was. So when man fell, creation fell. So um, now, you know, because of that, now people die. Now we all get sick. Now we have coronavirus. And now th there are tornadoes in this world. Now animals fight against each other. As much as I love meat, uh, it looks like from the word of God that we were not supposed to be killing animals. Everything was created to live forever. And now, because of Adam and Eve's sin, death came into the world. So he says here that not willingly, but they were because of, of whom subjected to hope. This is speaking about God here. God cursed the earth, but it says that it was subjected in hope. In other words, there was a purpose of hope. And God gave them hope when he promised them that one day a descendant of Adam would come and crush Satan and destroy sin. And we know who that is. That's Jesus. Amen? But until that day, everything around us longs to be restored to its original and to its, its, uh, its, the, the form that it was meant to be. Uh, one day, uh, creation will be restored. So going back to the idea of the, of the, of the longing and waiting... I sort of see it like this, and, and I, I haven't been to many I haven't been to many weddings since I've been to Texas, but it, within my culture, weddings are a big deal, and the greatest thing that we are waiting for is for the bride to be revealed. You know, we have some soft music, and some kids walk down the ring bearer and the flower girl walking die. We have a couple of uh, uh, couples that walk down, but all of a sudden everything just stops, and then a 
new song comes out, usually a powerful song, and everybody's just there on their tiptoes waiting, looking over people's heads and over people's shoulders. And all of a sudden, the doors fly open, and oh, we just sing glory. Now, we see the bride is walking down in her, beauty, in her beauty and in her purity, and it's like an emotional moment. The revealing of this bride compares to the revealing of the bride of Christ. One day, we will all, when we go to glory, we will be revealed as the bride of Christ, as the sons and daughters of God. And I think, I, I, I haven't done research on it, but I think this is the idea of the wedding and uh, of, the, of, the pure, of the white dress and, and how we make a big deal when the bride comes down. So that same attitude of eagerly longing, we're just waiting for everybody to pass by. Okay, go ahead, pass by. We're, we're waiting for the real stuff, and we just want to see the bride, right? And that's the way that we are with God. When we are all glorified, when we receive our inheritance and the fulfillment of the promises of God, when we become fully saved, when he restores all things, and when all the children of God are revealed, and we see that we receive the benefits the new heaven and the new earth, all creation is eagerly longing for this moment. Amen? And once, uh, like I said, you know, it says that he, he, uh, he, he uh, subjected, uh, the creation was subjected to futility in hope. This is the hope that we all have. Amen? 1 Peter 1.6 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. And we will experience this one day. Also, I love this great example that the word gives here about, uh, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. What greater example is that? We know that when, you know, if, 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 you're, if, if, you, if you have had children, you, you get that first uh, sonogram with a heartbeat. We know there's a heartbeat there. We see the sonograms, we see their faces, but that does not compare until the day that you see the child for the first time. And there is pain involved because of the fall of man. There is pain involved, but those nine months, nine plus months, you are waiting and anticipating the birth of this child. And, and so I, I think about um, both my children were born with some pain. Mariah, my second one, uh, Lori had preeclampsia, so that was like a fear of even her, her even living through this. So, you know, I, I think about that, but I think about my first child, Michaela, when she was born, um, that, you know, there was so much pain involved, and, and you know, uh, 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 oh my goodness, I forgot the contraction, thank you, the contractions, and because she had back labor, um, I, I shared in Lori's pain, probably not to the same degree, but I had to put uh, apply pressure to the back going up, and that would be the only thing that would alleviate uh, some of the pain during the contractions. And and you know we were you know first time parents, we spent we stayed up the whole night writing down how far the tra- contractions were. We forgot that we had to be 
like up the next day. So we were like half asleep during this. So it was added to the to the struggle. But every time we put, she pushed. There was this hope of the child coming out, and we were eagerly anticipating. And when she came out, it just like it was one of the most glorious moments of my life to see my child being born. And I think with that same attitude of anticipation, we are to anticipate that God is coming. So the great example is that there was pain involved. There was a lot of pain involved. But when the child, when Michaela was born, we weren't even thinking about the pain anymore. I mean, maybe it was easier for me because I didn't go through it. But it was funny because I remember the first thing I went to Lori and I was joking with her. I, I expected her to go, you know, to turn her head around and like start like, you know, vomiting green vomit at me. But um, when I said, are you ready for the next one? <laughs> and she said, yeah. <laughs> so she was a trooper there. But, I, you know, anyway, so this anticipation of the child coming is a big deal. And we also know that not only creation groans waiting for redemption, but humanity groans waiting for redemption. Verse 23 says, and not only that creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly. As we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what they see? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it. We wait for it with patience. And when the Bible talks about here the first fruits, um, in the Old Testament, when the, the, the farmers were, were required to bring an offering of the first fruit that, that grows, the first grain in the crops that, that were uh, ripe. And they brought this in, as an offering to the Lord. And what they were doing is, number one, they were acknowledging that God is the provider. And they were also declaring that what they have, not only this part, but all they have belongs to God anyway. So in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 113, it says, In him you also, when you heard the words of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire, acquire possession of him, to the praise of his glory. So the first fruits is that is sort of like a down payment for something. So the, the Spirit of God has given was given to us at salvation as a down payment, just making uh, uh, securing our eternity with Christ. So because we have been given this this first fruit, this guarantee, this down payment, we know that we will spend eternity with God. And it also says here that we eagerly await with, with, uh, uh, for adoption as sons. And in verse 15 it says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, are of God. So we, not only do we await... Uh, so it says here in the, in, the, in the 15 and 16 that we have received adoption, but we are also waiting to be adopted. And as uh, in our situation that we are going through, as we are waiting to adopt Matthias, I can understand this, this waiting, this longing. We're going to a time where we are trusting in the Lord that he has given us this child and trusting in the Lord that this child will become one day eternally ours. But forever our child. But there's this waiting and there's this longing and there's this anticipation for him to be our child. 
Um, and anyway, so what, what we're describing here is what theologians call the already and not yet. So we have been saved, but we are waiting for our salvation. We are adopted as children of God, but we are waiting for that adoption to become uh, uh, fully realized. We experience the kingdom of God now, but we are awaiting to see the kingdom of God. So this idea, I think uh, God, God, uh, questions.org does a, a, a good short definition of this. It's the, the theological concept of the already but not yet holds that believers are actively taking part in the kingdom of God, although the kingdom will not reach its full expression until sometime in the future. We are already in the kingdom, but not yet. Uh, but, but we do not yet see it in its glory. So we understand that we belong to Christ. We are saved. It says that we have salvation. But this salvation is not going to be fully realized until the day that we are there with Christ. Amen? So this is the, the same, and there's this tension here, and even sometimes a frustration of us waiting for everything to, to fully come. And when we think about, and this is not to minimize what Jesus has done in our lives so far, because what he's done, he has come to our life, and he has given us promises. So these promises will not be realized until we receive our ultimate redemption, until we are there before the Lord. Amen? So, um... And so the suffering of this world reminds us that our hope is not in this world. And if our hope is in this world, then our suffering will destroy us. If we are, are not able to keep our eyes focused on the Lord and in the hope that we have in Christ, the current suffering will destroy us. But one day, there will be a day where there's no pain, where there's no crying, where we will not experience suffering. One day there will be a day where we experience the fullness of the joy of the Lord. And we will experience that forever. Amen? One day we will experience. We have eternal life now because we know Christ. But one day we will have eternal life forever. And this is our hope. And in everyday struggle that we have and in our suffering, we need to be able to keep our eyes on the hope and what we have in Jesus. He came into this world to give us life, to give us joy, to give us peace. But he came to give us the hope that these things will be fully realized when we get to when we, when we spend eternity with him. Amen. Verse twenty three says, "And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who, who have the the first fruits of the spirit, groaning inwardly, as uh, we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies." For in this hope we were saved. When it says that we were saved, like I said, we were saved even though we are waiting salvation. Verse 23 says also that we eagerly wait for the redemption of our bodies. First John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we, will, what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because, he shall, we, because we shall see him as he is. So one day... We will receive glorified bodies. We will be like Jesus. The Bible calls it shining like the sun or shining like the stars. We will be like Christ. And this is our hope for eternity. So we, when Jesus came into our lives, we were, we were born again. And we received adoption. We were justified. And then at the end of everything, we will be glorified. We will receive our eternal bodies and be living here in the new heavens and the new earth. And this process from then to now 
is a process of sanctification of the Spirit of God working inside of us, uh, making us more and more like Christ. But one day we will be like Him. Amen? And this is our hope. Verse 25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Again, the only way that we can wait for God and wait for the Lord with patience is if we keep our eyes on the hope and not on the the, present, the, 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 the current sufferings that we go through. If we uh, look at, so we, the, we talk about that, that the uh, creation groans for redemption, humanity groans for redemption, but also the Spirit, the Holy Spirit helps us in our groaning and, await, and waiting. Verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches, searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the intercession, um, the word helps here, it sort of suggests uh, like two people facing each other, grabbing something and lifting it up together. So let's say if you need help uh, lifting up a, a, a dresser or a log, you know, we live in the country. But, you know, you, you get together, you're facing each other, and you're working something together. So what does this tell us? That the Spirit of God does not do things for us, but at the same time, He is active in our lives. The Holy Spirit doesn't only make us feel better. He is very active in strengthening us, in leading us, in guiding us, and in helping us keep our hope on the future. The Spirit of God is very important to our lives. We cannot do this without the counselor, without the teacher, without the one that gives us righteousness, the one that gives us peace and joy. His work in us is preparing us for our eternal redemption. And also it says here that we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We need the Spirit of God to lead us in our prayers. We need the Spirit of God uh, to be able, we need to, as we uh, pray according to the will of God, when we are led by the Spirit of God and we delight ourselves in the Lord, we receive what we pray for. It says here that the Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. When we have intense suffering or confusion, the Spirit of God prays for us. And what's amazing, we have an intercessor that's before the throne of God, and we also have an intercessor that's living inside of us to be able to keep us and hold us until that day. So there is joint activity between us and the Spirit of God and when, when we are living our lives uh, for Him. 27 says, For He searches hearts, knows, hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit of God knows what you need more than you do. And He is actively, even, uh, like I said, working in us and interceding for us, leading us, strengthening us. Excuse me. So when Jesus went up to heaven, He had left us this great gift of the Holy Spirit that sustains us. And he secures us and empowers us as we wait until that day. In this world of trials and suffering, we have the Spirit of God with us. The Holy Spirit brings us to rebirth. He promotes Jesus in our hearts. 
He sanctifies our souls. He leads us to righteousness and to Christ-like living. He leads us away from the things of the flesh. He empowers us for ministry. He is the spirit of adoption. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment for our inheritance. We have to be thankful for this gift of the Spirit that sustains us and empowers us until the day that we go to be with Christ. So, So our suffering cannot compare to the glory that we will receive. All creation groans for things to be made right. Creation is frustrated because it understands that it is not what it was created to be. Humanity groans and the Spirit groans for us and with us as we wait in expectation, awaiting for us to be able to be fully realized, to be to Christ to fulfill all the promises that He has uh, given to us. And so, when we think about Advent, again, whoa. Advent, <laughs> we, we know that Jesus came to us. He came to the world. The Bible says in John 1 that the Word, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I like the way the, the message says that the, wor- that the Word moved into the neighborhood. But He came to this earth. He became one of us. He lived for us. Like I said earlier, lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. And when Jesus comes into our life, He gives us this gift of grace. And he uh, it gives us this new life. We are reborn in him. And, and the proof of this life is that we start becoming more and more like Christ. And he comes back for us. He comes back to set into motion all the things that we've been waiting for. And it's sometimes it's easier to believe that Jesus saved us. But it's harder to believe that, this, uh, that, that we will actually be spending eternity with him. And it's just something that we struggle with. It might be because it's something that we can't really visualize because we don't know what it's like. But in the times of suffering, in the times of pain, we need to remember what our hope is. I didn't put these verse, this verse up there, but the next verse is one of my favorite verses. is Romans 8.28 and says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. One of the great promises that we receive from the Lord. That if we belong to him, if we are called to Christ, if we love Christ, that all things are going to work out for our good. And, and one thing that, that we look at is that we are not, the, the good that God is preparing for us, yes, there is good that he does in this earth. But one of the, we need to be able to look at the glory that we will receive. The glory that is to come. Things that are eternal. And sometimes we, and, and it's not it's not denying that we suffer here. It's not we're not being like this uh, false, falsely optimistic. Yes, we suffer. Yes, there's sickness here. Yes, there's death here. So there is pain here, but we have the Spirit of God that's here to comfort us in our pain and also to strengthen us and to remind us of eternity. One thing that we know about suffering is that suffering is temporary. Um, and and I I think about like sometimes when when I've gone through the harshest times of my life when there's been death or a serious pain in my life I I'm, I think about how do people that don't know Christ go through something like this to suffer with hope and to suffer with purpose knowing that God is working out His perfect will in your life is different than suffering with no hope and like I said earlier we have an opportunity during this season. 
to be able to share the hope of Christ with people in this world. Suffering is temporary, but our suffering in Christ is a means to an end. God is glorifying himself in it. He is building us. He's building us, whether, whether there's correction in our life, whether there's molding in our life, whether he's producing holiness. All the suffering in this world, when we belong to Christ, there is a, a purpose in it. And also, suffering eternally brings glory. Amen? So, just a, a couple of points that I want to share as far as uh, just uh, application points. One thing is to remember that Jesus is coming back. This is our hope, guys. This is our hope. We, when we keep our eyes focused on what we're going through right now, we forget that one day Jesus will come back. And maybe that might be scary for us. And if it's scary for you, you have an opportunity to repent and to come to Christ and to find security and assurance in the salvation of our Lord. One day he will come back. And we need to always remember this, even in the middle of our, of our pain. Also, we need to live with eternity in mind. When we live with eternity in mind, we are focused, focused on the things that are forever and not the things that are temporary. A lot of our worry and suffering sometimes because we hold on too much to these things that are transient, that are temporary, that will, you know, things that we cannot take to heaven with us. But what goes to heaven? We go there. And other people go there. So when we know that Jesus is coming back, let us move that to do things that are eternally. Help us. Uh, uh, we ask the Holy Spirit to have you, help you have a, a heavenly mindset or a mindset that's focused on eternity. And the third one is worship the Lord. I'm a worship leader. I'm going to put my worship plug in there. But worshiping the Lord. Now, I'm not just saying to listen to worship music. But I know for me personally, when I come to, whether it's me on my own or when I come together with you guys to worship the Lord, I remind myself of who God is. The truth is that when we go through this life and the pain and the suffering, sometimes uh, we get, things get, get cloudy or, you know, I think he compares it to dirt coming on a windshield and, you know, using windshield wipers to wipe that off. We, uh, when we go through pain and suffering, our perception of God is cloudy. And the way that God heals us is by rectifying our perception. And sometimes that happens to worship. One of the reasons why we sing songs that are so flooded with the word of God is because we want to remind each other. I want to remind myself, and I want you guys to remind me, and I want to remind you of who God is in the middle of suffering. Amen? So also remember to rely upon your helper. Look for the Spirit of God to give you help. You cannot do this on your own. None of us could. But in the middle of suffering, the Spirit of God comes together with us and helps us to lift up these burdens. He walks with us. He convicts us of truth. He encourages us. He leads us to righteousness. And in the middle of the struggle, we can have victory. We will struggle. We will struggle in this world. But we can have victory uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So... I just want to encourage you guys during this season of Advent, let's uh, be actively waiting on the Lord. Not passively, but actively waiting on the Lord. Amen? So um, I'm just going to pray for us and lead us in a song.
God, you guys can, can join me. Lord, we come before you to thank you for all that you have done for us, Lord. We ask that you help us to keep our minds on the things that are forever, the things that are eternal. Help us to remember and to see the future glory that is for us, Lord, so that when we go through our sufferings during this time, we may be like Paul and realize that the glory of the future cannot even be, uh, the things, the, the suffering that we go through now cannot be even compared to the glory of the future, Lord. I pray that you may strengthen us, Help us to rely and to be led and to be filled and to be strengthened by your Holy Spirit. Help us to wait on you, to look for you with eager expectation. Help us to long for you.